0: Right on. Well, we're in Exodus chapter 18, and uh, we've come through all of these chapters. If uh, you weren't around last week for the camp, but last week we were in Joshua chapter 2. So you didn't miss any of the Exodus series, but we've come through to Exodus chapter 18. We've been reading this story of redemption, of grace, of deliverance, of provision, and provision and the, the leading of God's presence through the midst of... Uh, the wilderness and yet at the same time and the unfolding of this whole story and all that we've been looking at through Exodus, we've also seen, you know, lots of not nice stuff from the people of God, you know, Um, obviously slavery and their trials and their complaints and their hunger and their thirst and even their battles, like we saw in Exodus chapter 17 with the Amalekites. Well, I mean, I guess I would say this. On some level, we can relate to all that stuff, all that hard stuff in life, complaining, trials, hunger, thirst, battles, this and that. And this chapter is kind of nice as we come to it because we get a little bit of relief from that, all, all that's been going on. And we come to a chapter that describes the camp of Israel a little bit and where they are. And we see, wow, there's like, there's families living here, there's normal life happening. Um, there's there's daily business and and fellowship. Is the air conditioning okay? Or is it bugging you guys? Is it just bugging? You're all good, okay? Good. So this is kind of uh, you know. So, you know, it's just interesting in life. Often what we remember is the hard stuff. You know, the trials, the complaining, the hunger, the battles, and that's typical for lots of people. And we experience those things. But you know, uh, Charles Spurgeon said this that the people of God are prone to engrave their trials in marble and write the blessings of God in sand. And, and we're quick to forget. And so when we come to this part of the Exodus story, I I found this chapter just kind of refreshing because everyone's praising God for what he's done on behalf of his people. Um, And you know, isn't praising God so much better than complaining to God. Haven't you found that in, in your life you know, in fact, I, I think praise is the antidote for a complaining spirit, for a complaining heart. Uh, to look on the blessings of God and to thank Him for those things. Uh, D.L. Moody s- pointed out this. He said that uh, there's a lot more to say about praise in the Bible than there actually is in prayer about prayer. But it's not very often that we have a praise meeting. We have we have prayer meetings, but not so often praise meetings. And so. And we come to this part of the story and we've seen Moses as prophet. We've seen him as a deliverer, the leader of God's people. We've seen him as God's spokesman, um, God's communicator. But this part of the Exodus story gives us a little more insight into Moses, uh, the family man. Uh, Moses, the guy with the wife and kids. Moses, the guy who had a, a father-in-law. And you know, when we've been coming through this, uh, this Exodus story, and even in this chapter, you don't get any sense. I'll say this about Moses, that family life was ideal or perfect for him. So it's kind of nice because we can all relate to that, right? So here's Moses. Life's... Life in his family and in his marriage, I would say, is not ideal. It's not perfect. At some point before Israel was led out of slavery, Moses' wife, Moses sent his wife back to her father. We're going to read here. She took the kids and she went back there. And the judgment of God came down upon the nation of Egypt, upon their gods, upon Uh, Pharaoh and with the subsequent, you know, Exodus of the children of Israel crossing the red sea. um, Zephora, Moses, wife is going to come back into the store here and she's going to come and meet her husband here. They've made their way to Sinai. Finally, they've made their way to the mountain of God and her father, Jethro, who was called the priest of Midian was here. He was a Gentile. He is a distant, um, descendant relative of Abraham. He's a monotheistic worshiper of God. He's called a priest of God. And so he is a man who serves the the one true living God. And he comes back on the scene here. And we read in verse one. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Sephora, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with their two sons. The name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. We met Gershom before. The name of the other who we haven't met before is Eliezer. For he said, the God of my father was my help, and he delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Verse 5. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, And and when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and with your two sons with her. Verse 7, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of of their welfare and went into the tent. So Moses and the Israelites have arrived here at the mountain of God and we're going to spend a lot of time now as we keep moving through Exodus at at the mountain of God at Mount Sinai. It's also called uh, Mount Horeb in the scripture. Of course, this is the place where Moses had his burning bush encounter with the Lord. Where we read about in Exodus chapter 3. Where he saw this bush that was burning. And yet that was not consumed. And in the midst of the fire was the angel of the Lord. And the Lord spoke to him. And he drew near. And he was given the commission from God. To be the deliverer of the people of Israel. And when Moses questioned God on that. The Lord said this will be the sign to you. You will go to Egypt. You will deliver my people. And you will come to this mountain. And you will worship me. And so this is the sign fulfilled for Moses that God had given him. They had come from Egypt. They had crossed the Red Sea. They had moved through the wilderness, led by the angel of the Lord, led by the cloud of the presence, a a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire uh, by night. And the Lord had led them to Sinai, a place of worship. A place where they would uh, worship God, at, at, at the mountain of God. And so, you know, just to recall here, this is after Israel has defeated Amalek. They've had this uh, a battle. Jethro has got word that Moses has arrived at Sinai and that the Lord has done many wonderful things for his people. Now, you may recall that Moses and his wife... Uh, Before she kind of disappeared from this story, there was contention between the two of them. And the contention was in regards to the issue of circumcision. Of course, circumcision was an outward sign. It's almost like, you know, water baptism for us. An outward sign of an inward reality. Circumcision was the outward religious practice. The the rite of circumcision that said, we're a people who are in in a covenant relationship with God. And as part of that, to show that God is removing the fleshly life and bringing about the life of the spirit in his people they practiced this rite of circumcision as uh, the Lord had called them to do so and so uh, somewhere in in the story of that, Moses and Sephora had argued over this issue within the context of their own family and Moses was for it. And Zephora was not. And and the the kids weren't circumcised. And there was this whole thing going on. You know, on some level, this practice to Zephora was repulsive. And Moses was unable or unwilling to lead his wife spiritually through this. And finally, the Lord confronts them on the way back to Egypt and threatens to kill Moses. And Zephora steps up. Everybody gets circumcised. Good times. And... uh, (laughs) Moses sends Sephora back to her father. And he goes and he does this work of deliverance for the children of Israel. And so really like when you put the calendar together here. And you kind of think about this. This is like a year that this husband and wife have been apart. They haven't seen one another for a year. Uh, I think Sephora is a wonderful picture of the church. Uh, typology of the church. You know we, we see many different times where. Wives are brought to their husbands in the scripture. You know, the Lord brought Eve to Adam. Uh, The Holy Spirit, we know, brings the church to Jesus Christ. Uh, Joseph took a Gentile bride. And they were preserved uh, in the midst of seven years of tough stuff in Egypt. You know, Abraham sent his servant Eliezer, who was a picture of. Uh, the Holy Spirit, and he said, go and get a wife and bring her to my son. And Eliezer brought Rebekah to Isaac. Moses' bride was sent away, went to her father, and she missed the judgment that came upon uh, Egypt. And then the children of Israel uh, were led out, and now she is reunited with her father. And, and I just think it's a powerful picture of what the Lord will do for his church. That we will be raptured before he brings judgment upon this earth. And before those uh, seven years of the great tribulation come upon the earth. The bride of Christ will be sent to the father. And there will be eventually a reunion where Israel and the church and Jesus come together, and the kingdom of God is made manifest, not just spiritually, but physically on the face of the earth. And so it's just a cool picture. Zephora is brought back to her husband. No picture here that everything's perfect. It's kind of like the church, you know. Church is not exactly the perfect bride, is she? Now Moses seems to have in this story a a special relationship with his father-in-law. It doesn't tell us a lot about Zephora and and how he reacted to having her there. But it tells us a lot about how Moses responded to his father-in-law. And the value that they placed on family. They, they hugged one another. They kissed one another. They exchanged stories. They told about uh, God's work. They went into the tent. It says in verse 8. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh. And to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And all the hardship that come, had come upon them in their way. And how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. And that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So this is another one of these conversations. I I just, a Bible conversation, a Bible account where I wish I could be a fly on the wall. To listen to these two talk and, and talk about the work of God and what God had done Uh, on behalf of his people as they recounted the details of God's work of deliverance. And Jethro, as he listened to the stories that Moses told, it says he rejoiced. He wasn't rejoicing in the judgment of God, but he was rejoicing in the goodness of God towards uh, his people. And, you know, I really believe that it is the heart of God to, to lead his people as he delivers them to the place of worship. Like he was doing for Moses and the children of Israel, I'm going to deliver you and I'm going to lead you to this place where you will worship me. A place of rejoicing, a place of recounting in the goodness of God. Uh, and, And, you know, Jethro gets to this place where as Moses is recounting, he says, Blessed be the Lord who delivered you. He says in verse 10, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians. And out of the hand of Pharaoh. And has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. And he says in verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Because in this affair. They dealt arrogantly with the people. For Jethro. A monotheistic worshiper of God. He's called a priest of the Lord. He knew the Lord. He. He shared with Moses things about the Lord. We can only think way back when. When Moses was hiding out in, in the desert. And with Moses now sharing to him. And telling him about the things God had done. For Jethro this added I would say to the mountain of evidence. That he was collecting in regards to the Lord. You know, over his life, he had heaped up evidence about God, about the work of God. And he's like, this is the icing on the cake for me. This is the piece that finishes the puzzle uh, for me. He says, now I know the Lord is God and, and there is no other. And I was just trying to think about, you know, my own life. You know, I made a decision for Jesus Christ when I was a little kid. But, you know, as as a child, but then as a young man at at 17, I made that adult decision where I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. And, you know, when we, when I, and when you made that decision, we did so uh, by faith, making a decision, a certain decision on things that are still yet unseen. And in the midst of that, Although you've made a decision to follow Jesus, you start to gather evidence regarding Jesus and go, yeah, okay, this is a good decision. I got a wheelbarrow full of stuff here that tells me this is a good decision. And the wheelbarrow uh, becomes a mountain. This is a mountain of evidence for Jesus Christ. And, you know, although we still see dimly through a glass... We have this ever growing confidence in the Lord as you get to know him. Isn't it true? That you, that you add pieces to the puzzle. You go, oh yeah, yeah, God is good. Oh yeah, God did this. Oh yeah, the Lord is God. He is above all other gods. And it's a powerful thing to come to the place where Jethro did, where he said, now I know. Now I know. Conviction of soul, conviction of spirit, conviction of mind. There is no other God. Like the Lord. The Lord is greater than all gods. And the appropriate response to the testimony of God's work. Is to worship. And so that's what they did in verse 12. It says Jethro. Moses father-in-law. Brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came. With all the elders of Israel. To eat bread. uh, With Moses father-in-law before God. So I, I just love the picture here of what's going on. Because. These men just begin to bring sacrifices to God. Burnt offerings, sacrifices. Aaron comes. Moses' older brother. Uh, the elders of Israel begin to come. And in the presence of God. I just love this picture. They just eat. They just hang out. They just enjoy the goodness of God's work of deliverance. They're offering worship. And then just sitting in the presence of God. And enjoying Uh, Fellowship, rejoicing in the work of God, expressing praise and enjoying God. David said in Psalm 51, he said, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Psalm 67 says, let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. Psalm 89 says, let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord. Your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. Psalm 100 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Now I was just thinking about the way praise. We are called to praise God in the scriptures. Psalm 106 says, Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare his praise? You know, this morning I wanted to do just something different. Totally different than what I normally do in in the teaching. And it was this. I wanted to hit a pause on the teaching. And I wanted to give you the opportunity to give testimony in your life to the praise of God. And so, we're unscripted here. It's not planned. But right now, I'm asking you, if, if you have testimony that you could give praise to God for something that he's doing, that he's done, that you have watched him recently do. And so, you could just speak right from, right from where you are. And I thought, why don't we give the Lord a concert of praise this morning? Who wants to start us off? I will. Okay. Some, Psalm 139 says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, O Lord, and my soul knows it very well. That's awesome, thanks. Yeah, calling. My, my, Psalm 145, verse 21 says, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. So you can just imagine, you know, Moses telling the stories of what God, it's so good to hear what's happening in your lives and just those quick things, right? It's encouraging to to hear that stuff. So as Moses recounted to Jethro, all that God had done, Jethro said, man, now I know, now I know, let's worship God. Let's sacrifice to him. Let's eat together in the presence of God. Call your friends. Let's, let's celebrate who God is. Awesome scene in Exodus chapter 18. Verse 13, it says this. The next day, the next day Moses sat to judge the people and stood around. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people standing around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. So Jethro gets up in the morning after they've had this great party, hanging out, worshiping God. And Moses has already left the tent. And he figures, well, you know, maybe he's going to cut his day a little bit short and come home at 10. And, Maybe he's going to come home at lunch, and maybe it'll be an early afternoon. And finally, at dusk in the evening, Moses comes cruising back to the house, and Jethro says, "Man, where were you? What the heck were you doing all day?" I'm I'm here, your guest. And you know, uh, Moses says, "Well, I'm I've got my dream job. I, I deal with people disputing <laughs> all day long. All day long, I sort out disputes and." And human things here. And we, we just see this picture here. Moses is working. He's, he's essentially a manager, I would call him. You know, he's working like a manager, managing two and a half million people. Could you imagine? I mean, kill me now. That's all I'm thinking. Verse 16. When they have a dispute, this is Moses telling what he does. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make known to them the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father in law said to him, What you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for this thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Prudent wisdom from the father in law. It's good to listen to your father in law sometimes. Verse 19 All the wives are going like this the elbow. No, just kidding. Verse 19, it says, now obey my voice and I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. So Jethro's advice is really, it's echoed in the New Testament for us too. We see it in the book of, in the book of Acts, you know, as the apostles, as the church was growing, they were preaching the word daily. People were being saved. The workload increased on the apostles and they decided this, we need, we need people to help us. The, the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer is going to suffer under our, our workload. And so they selected a group of deacons. Those men became uh, people who served in the church, helping in different areas of service that set the apostles free so that they could focus on the ministry of the word and, and on prayer. And so we see this idea in the New Testament, Jethro's observation, was of Moses. That he was judging all these disputes. And in the midst of that. You can get this sense here. His time with God is being squeezed out. And you can only imagine that that was. You know. That's how burnout happens. When you're doing things for the Lord. You know. It's actually been said that the, the greatest enemy. Uh, to the work of the Lord. Is our service for the Lord. See when you're working for the Lord. You need time to seek the Lord. You need time. Uh, to seek God and spend time in the presence of Jesus and have the Holy Spirit minister to you and have the word of God wash you. Otherwise you're like, you're useless. You are useless. And Jethro saw this happening with, uh, with Moses. You know, I could, I could tell you just from personal experience, um, the greatest thing I can do for my preaching is spend time in prayer and time with the Lord. And that, and it takes time. And so, You know, we always need to remember that in whatever way we are serving God, whatever that looks like, uh, that without time seeking him, without time in his presence, waiting on him, uh, we're useless. There has to be time in the schedule. You have to make time in the schedule to free yourself up, to seek, seek Jesus, to allow him to minister to you. You know, I, I, again, I could think of my own life. You know what happens to me? And I'll just tell you, because I'm in the pattern of a pastor. And it's this. You have to preach Sunday after Sunday. And so as my week goes on, Monday morning, I'm relaxed. And by Friday afternoon, I'm anxious and restless. And the only fix for me every time is prayer. Time apart with the Lord to, to seek him so that my kids can survive my irritability. No. But, you know, just when you're serving God, the reality is, is there is weight to ministry. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But yet still it is a yoke and it is a burden. And the best way to move it is to be partnered with Jesus in that yoke. And, and so it means time with the Lord. And so you, know, Moses was being squeezed from morning till night. And all it took was one day of observation from somebody to lo- that loved him and to speak into his life. And they said, dude, Too much, man. You need to spend time with the Lord. And so Jethro in his advice, counsels Moses to do more of his ministry from the place of prayer. Actually, he says, you shall represent the people before God rather than standing in their midst and sorting out disputes go to the Lord in the place of prayer and bring their cases to God. And this is really part of the, the development of Moses leadership and learning to lead the people of God. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I would say serving God, whatever capacity the Lord has you serving him in his, in his kingdom. It demands our best. It demands hard work. It demands that, uh, you know, we give her, but, Jethro's advice here to Moses is let's do it in a healthy way. Let's do it in a God honoring way. You know, seek the Lord and share the load. And that will produce longevity in your ministry. Um, You know, long. I would say, you know, longevity in ministry and for Moses and, and for you and I. Serving God for a long time. It's always important to remember that that following Jesus Christ is not a hundred meter dash. It's a marathon. It's not about how you start, but it's about how you finish. And you know, it's easy to get involved in doing things for the Lord and lose sight of that. Look, man, Rome was not built in a day. Rome was not built in a day and neither is the kingdom of God. And yet we get to partner with Jesus and build something far greater than Rome, the kingdom of God. You know, I read a really interesting post this week on, On Facebook, I liked it if you're my Facebook friend. If you're my Facebook friend. If you're not, you should be. No. Uh, I read this interesting post on Facebook. It was uh, regarding to um, the story of two Mars Hill churches. One in Chicago and one in Seattle. Two churches that have been super influential in the last 10 to 15 years in the evangelical world. In one, the pastor was a super creative, incredible Uh, communicator. And yet he had these liberal leanings in his doctrine. And eventually he went off off track and now he's turned around with Oprah and it's, he's left the train wreck behind him. The other pastor serving is a hard nosed in your face, shocker, great teacher of the word punch you in the teeth. And in the midst of his ministry, he's left this wave of trouble all the way along in broken relationships because of the way that he's done thing and done things. And in this blog, the person just said, man, you know, look at these two powerful ministries in America. And right now they're both in, in trouble. And, you know, he said in the midst of this, you know, there's little churches here and there and all over the place. and, Maybe the people say, oh, I wish the pastor was more creative in his teaching. I wish the pastor was more hard-nosed in his teaching or this or that. But little churches all over the place never had the big ministries, and yet they've been faithful, and they've done their thing, and those things have come up, and they've gone, and there's lots of churches in the midst that haven't. You know, I've often... And so the thought is longevity. I've often said to our leaders when, you know, we've like gone through stuff or chatted about stuff or wondering where things, it's like, well, what are we going to do now? I say, we're going to plow a straight line. What are we going to do now? We're going to plow a straight line. And, and, And Jethro is giving advice to Moses regarding the longevity of his ministry. And he says, share the load. Share the load and learn to come before God. He says in verse 20, And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from among the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of fifties, sorry, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. So Jethro's instruction for Moses is this. Seek God, become a teacher of God's word, I would say. Uh, Teach the people... Uh, the laws and the statutes of God. Rather than get in there like a lawyer and help, you know, settle the disputes. Uh, I mean, his role is important as a judge. It absolutely is. But there's no end to human disputes. We know that. And so more than ju- judge the people, be a teacher for the people. You know, what's that old saying? It's hard to soar like an eagle when you work with a bunch of turkeys, Right. And often, when we're in the midst of some sort of human dispute, we're functioning with the vision of a turkey, I would say. Rather than soaring like an eagle and having this long perspective. See, perspective changes a lot of things. I was thinking about my dog. You know, I take my dog out for a walk. And my dog, she has her nose in the ground. And she's sniffing around and looks 10 feet in front of her. And, and that's a dog's life. That's a dog's perspective. What's on the ground. And yet as human beings, we get to walk around and take in the trees and the sky and the beauty and the stars and the moon and the sunset and perspective makes all the difference in the world. And Jethro is saying to Moses, the best thing you can do to help the people with perspective is teach the word rather than navigate disputes. I thought actually, I read something interesting by John Corson and I liked what he said to this. So I just want to read to you what he said. He said, I become restricted and small minded and petty when I don't keep before me the big picture of eternity of what God is up to and where we are going and what's going on. As I read my Bible, I see that page after page is trying to get me to get my nose out of the bushes and look up and see the grand design of God's plan for eternity and how I fit in. When I was younger, a younger believer, I wish there were more books in the Bible devoted to practical stuff. How to have a better marriage. How to raise kids. How to handle money. But as I get older. I realize that the practical stuff. Leads only to disappointment and legalism. I realize that Jesus was right. When he said seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will take care of themselves. I realize his wisdom in saying. Look beyond and understand my grand plan. Lift your eyes. To the sky. It's important. The perspective that we carry. And if Moses was to last long here. Jethro's advice. To him was good. Go to the place of prayer. Teach the word. Grab some dudes to help you out. And Jethro says. Look for able men. Look for men of skill and competency. And he gives three characteristics. We're going to wrap it up pretty quick here. He gives three characteristics of able men. There in verse 21. Men who fear God, number one. You know, the Bible says that fear of man is a snare. So look for men who don't fear men, but look for men who fear God. Number two, men who are trustworthy. They're stable. There's firmness in their life. There's consistency. They're trustworthy men. And he says the third thing, men who hate a bribe. They're not motivated by greed. Grab dudes like that. Men who fear God, who are trustworthy and who hate a bribe. Verse 22. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you and you will be able to endure. And all of the people also will go to their place in peace. I mean, could you imagine coming with your trouble to Moses and taking your number? (laughs) 1,713. <laughs> Whatever the number was. Verse 24. The people, will have, or the people will get their peace too. Verse 24. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law. And he did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel. And made them heads of the people. Chiefs of thousands. Of hundreds. Of fifties. And of tens. Now in the coming weeks. The week of September 28th. Actually we're going to launch our coin Koinonia groups. And this is like, this is where small groups come from, believe it or not. Right from the Bible, right from the book of Exodus. It's where small groups originate. And, um, you know, we're going to have these groups meeting in different homes. Almost like little tiny house churches. Gathering for 10 weeks until Christmas time. And in my mind, you know, when we started Koinonia, it was almost like implementing some of this instruction that Jethro gave to Moses. Not only does it allow us as a church to have fellowship and Bible study and prayer together, but it also develops that sense of community of, of body life of uh, caring for one another in a smaller set. You know, it's, it's hard, right? When we're in this big of a group to really communicate our needs from time to time, man, you know, maybe you're waiting for the pastor, whatever it is, take your number. We get to be together as a church in smaller settings and, and, uh, share the work of the ministry by caring for and loving one another and getting to know each other and pray for each other. So, you know, I'm thankful for our leaders that are leading home groups. Uh, Next week, the list will be out. Verse 26. Let's wrap it up right here. And they judged the people at all times, any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter, they decided themselves. So this is the beginning of a nation really finding order. Uh, Under the structure that God is giving them. Verse 27. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart. And he went away to his own country. I invite the worship team to come join me up here. Let's pray this morning. Lord we praise you. Lord like the psalmist. Like the psalmist who said. I will praise the Lord with my soul. I will praise the Lord with my mouth. As long as I live, I will sing praise to God while I have my being. Lord, we want to praise you. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for all that you're doing. Lord, I I, uh, repent on behalf of myself and everyone here for the times when we get our heads, our noses to the ground our heads in the bushes and we forget to have the perspective of eternity and, and trust and know that you are working and you are leading and you are guiding. And so Lord, uh, we want to just lift our eyes to the heavens this morning. Remember uh, your work and all that you're doing. We want to praise the Lord. Scripture says, praise the Lord. Praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.